Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for April. I think. It could be April. It could just be an extension to March. Everybody's talking about just keeping March going until everything sorts out. And then when everything gets sorted out, then we can go in April and we can just start. But for some people, um, that is, they don't want, they don't, they want March gone. They want it to be a memory. They want it to be in the past. They almost just want to jump in a ship (laughs) on the sea and forget about it all. They almost want to be jumping on a sea, forgetting about it all so that they're in forgotten waters. If you're going to be talking about forgotten waters, there's only one person you can speak to at the moment to talk about forgotten waters. He's standing there in a hat. It's not a pirate hat. It's a plaid hat. Because I'm talking to Joseph Arthur Ellis working alongside Plaid Hat Games to talk about their latest release coming out on pre-order. It's just now it's going to be released very, very soon. It's called Forgotten Waters and Joseph is going to tell us all about it. Aren't you, sir? Yeah. Thanks for having me on here. I'm (laughs) excited to talk to you. And and there is, uh, I don't know if you've been doing any remote gaming, but I have been on Tabletop Simulator, and it's been better than anything else. Better than even calling and talking to friends has been finding a way to play a game with them. I've, I have currently been playing, because I have um, a very excitable seven-year-old in the house, um, we were lucky enough to um, be sent a copy of Flip Over Frog, Mm. Um, which is a very simple tiling game from um, um, from Hub Games. So I've been playing that because um, he has been getting up in the morning earlier before all of us. He's been taking that game downstairs and playing it by himself. What? Is so it? He's been so a, it's tiling. It's not um, dexterity. No. Okay. So he's just been yeah. playing it. He's just been laying the tiles, flipping over the tile pieces, and then when I come down, he I go downstairs and. Uh, and uh, he beats me thoroughly every single time. And um, I'd like to think that it begins my day, my day full of joy, but actually it puts me on a bit of a downer for the day. So tomorrow morning, um, I'm going down uh, with my uh, with my copy of Mice and Mystics, and I'll show him what losing's all about. <laughs> By dragging him down with you in a cooperative game. <laughs> That's all I'm going to be saying. Yes, we're just going to be ramping it up. 
and we'll see you know we'll see where his smiles are <laughs> we'll just see we'll just see where he goes we'll just that little sunshine's gonna just cloud over that's all i'm gonna say um but no i haven't had i have installed um tabletop simulator because everybody keeps talking about it and um i have a horrific um thing with um technology I, it always scares me a bit that i'm gonna end up pressing something the wrong way and i would potentially break the internet but we'll just have to see how it goes but i understand like keeping the community up at the moment is really important for so many people because for so many people this is one of the sides of gaming the social interaction with other people really kind of helps people kind of get on their kind of their buy their buy to buy what about i mean you mentioned you know plugging into tabletop simulator how are you how are you doing in general? I mean, as things that it must be a strange mixture of excitement and concern and nervousness because you're, you know, the, there's one of your a creation of yours is kind of going out there and people are going to be getting their hands on it and potentially playing it. So for yourself, what's kind of like, you know, what what's the what what's what would what was the sea forecast? Is it stormy? Is it calm? <laughs> Where where's your mind at, Captain? Um, this is, uh, this has been like a very long-term project in my dream project. And, Hmm. uh, so it's been, it, there's been a lot of drama throughout its development. And so we feel like we couldn't be more confident in the game and we think people are going to really love it. Our main concern Hmm. is literally physically getting it to people and, uh, the ways that's going to break down and, We've got limited copies, you know, in our warehouse, aka Colby's garage at the moment, uh, that we will be able to send out. But after that, you know, we're uh, relying on a lot of uh, the system to get this going. But we have gained, we've gotten a lot of positive. So this past weekend or just before that, we started being able to install the voiceovers for the app for the game. And uh, they've been working on that for weeks. Uh, it was the first mm-hmm. thing Colby did once he bought the company back was he said, okay, I'm going to invest in voiceovers for this. And uh, wow. that's a kind of thing. It's a kind of move you can make, you know, uh, once you're independent. And uh, I mean, as we're so blown away. I mean, actually just a week or two ago, Colby and I were talking and we were, we had some concern because we've always played the game without voiceovers and had a blast. And we started panicking, like, oh, you know what? What if that's part of the entertainment? Like, we make a joke in the game, but you are the one who said it, so you feel like you contributed, and that's really fun. Yeah. What if yeah. it's less fun? And so we put in some options, which I'm glad we did in the app, to like, okay, hey, if you've got a theatrical group, maybe you want to read this yourself. Otherwise, the voiceovers. But then, once we actually got started getting uh, the recordings in and hearing them, all of that worry to me went away because the performances <laughs> are incredible that it just gets me so charged, especially because people are going to be playing this solo and, you know, or in small groups a little more. Whereas we play tested it a lot more with, you know, five to seven people because uh, that's how we had originally envisioned the game. But I think that the voiceovers add a lot to the like the lower player counts and being able to kind of experience it together so yeah i'm still nervous but i you know people love the game when they play it 
just can't wait for people to do it because, uh, you know, we didn't have full control over the timing of everything when we went independent. So we just had to charge forward and uh, we've promoted the game, but without a lot of people being able to play it or describe it. And that's all going to come crashing uh, in soon. So I'm excited to see it. Reviewers have their copies. So are you, are you, what's your relationship with Plaid Hat just now? Are you one of the employees there? Are you kind of like being signed up on like a publisher agreement with them at the moment? Uh, no, I'm an employee. So I started, f- I was a fan of Summoner Wars back at, way back in the mm. day. Started freelancing yeah. the website in 2012. Dead right. of Winter blew up. And uh, so Colby and Isaac brought me on in early 2015. Yeah, okay. um, because you know they had more resources to do st- some stuff like that, and so I've been I've been f- working full time in board games since then. I I started as just worrying about tech stuff, websites, and you know fulfillment systems mm. and things like that, and playtesting, admin- administrating playtesting. Moved right. slowly, drifted into development and game development and. Uh, and eventually, you know, was doing as much of that. But once we switched to at once we switched to Asmodee, I ended up joining their web team because uh, that's just you know sort of what made sense with the way the company was structured. And yeah, yeah, been working basically for for Forgotten Waters. Been working mostly on my own time on it, including on the app until until uh, Colby called me that fateful day and was like, "Here's what's happening." I'm getting it back. We're relaunching with Forgotten Waters, and it was like so exciting. But it was also like, oh no, everything is now riding on this. <laughs> Did he do a Blues Brothers kind of? We're getting the band back together. <laughs> a, mo- a montage <laughs> kind of thing. Did he do that? Well, Did he do like a John Belushi? Did he turn up and he'd taken the plaid hat off and he replaced it with a black trilby? He was wearing shades, <laughs> the black suit. Really, the sad yeah. the the only sad thing is, and I know you talked to Jerry about this. Maybe you yeah. guys reference it a little, but you know we did have to lose some staff. Uh, you know, yeah. to, to because because of losing Dead of Winter, and you know, obviously that's there were parts of the company that were purchasable and parts that you know you'd be crazy to sell, right? So uh, yeah, so you know, I I would love to work more with those people in the future. I was the one who kind of got to come back, you know. So excited about excited about that. I can't we've I've never been forgot how much more productive I am for a small little team who's all in together. There's nothing I don't know what your work situation's like that, but to me there's nothing more energizing than that. Yeah, I think um when you know you've got a direct effect on everybody that's around you. And you're actually looking at the owner of the company and you can see them walking around and everything's a little bit more transparent. And I'm not saying that being part of a huge organization is a terrible is a terrible thing or anything like that, but you get a general just and a general feel for things. Um when the management team and even people that have almost like an emotional vested interest in the company you're there and you can see their eyes and you can see what's kind of happening because uh, I think one of the things that was clear to me from the conversation that I had with, with Jerry was that the asthma day situation was a huge um, 
sideswipe to a lot of people and it was a lot of you know the the shedding of jobs which has happened across the industry was a general surprise to everybody that can it kind of happened to and the, everybody was like well things are going you know sales and board games and stuff like that are doing really really well tabletop is in you know a huge golden era and then all of a sudden it's like well no we're cutting costs and we're you know the digital part you know fantasy flight lost people and you know, you guys kind of lost people as well, so it kind of came as a bit of a sideswipe. So when you're saying, yeah, it's good to be back in a team, I totally, that's the setup that I've got to work in. It's, it's nice to, even though mm. we're all working remotely, there's yeah. still that kind of that working relationship there that, you know, if there's, you know, it's going to be very, very surprising if somebody turned around and says, well, actually, you know, the job is, the job is kind of no longer, is kind of no longer there. Um, From your from your background then, it sounded to me that you, am I right in saying from a, from an education point of view, you came from more from like a technical background then? Is that where your your wheelhouse was? With oh, yeah, to yeah. Yeah, I've been yeah. programming and stuff since I was a kid. I was always more interested in making video games and even playing them and, um, you know, did QBasic on our little IBM DOS machine and uh, so I've always done that, but I realized actually even being part of a, a full sized web team, like I was the last couple of mm. years that I don't think too much like other programmers. I think I'm a little bit more mission oriented instead of sort of knowledge or technical oriented. It's, it's more like I can be driven by a goal. So that's why Colby and I've always gotten along because I just mm-hmm. find places to fill in and things that need done and i just happen to have skills to apply you know computers or whatever to the solution and that's i mean that's why once again that's why a small team uh, is good for me but yeah that is how i was i was doing like a summoner wars blog and colby caught wind of that and we ended up uh, connecting and we both lived in the same state and that probably didn't hurt either here here in ohio he's in texas now but no, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the games, so for for you, the kind of the, you kind of almost change your hobby into kind of like the career part of things, but then it's not a case that you've been involved in the industry on a technical level. You're now taking it to full circle to actually being involved of in a kind of a creation of a game yourself. So have you have you always been working along on little things anyway at the side you a little bit of a designer always kind of like i would say not any more than the average gamer i mean i think almost everybody has some brainstorms swirling around but mm-hmm. um or but i remember even on staff after being on staff talking to dave our graphic designer and being like i got no de- you know desire to be a designer to you dave and he didn't either uh, but things just evolve and the more it's been, like I said, I was administrating our play tests and at first it was just like, you know, get people to sign up, work with, you know, give resources to the designer, but you know, time goes on and you get more opinionated and the big turn was, um, the game Raxon, uh, which I just had an idea for a marketing campaign for a game and I brought it to the team yeah. and, and like, oh, what if we had a game where it's, it was about, 
you know, like the zombie virus, but and it spreads that way, and that's the only way to get it. And uh, we, so I was just working on that marketing idea, and we just, I just, over time, ended up being the one who designed the game for that. Uh, yeah. And so, and I learned a lot through that, and I'm, I'm very proud of the game, but it's, you know, it's a very small, um, it's not an ambitious, uh, as far as a tabletop experience, you know, it's pretty simple. But that was. That's what kind of forced me through the fire, which was, you know, also involved building a big complicated website to do the sales. And, uh, you know, it was kind of a controversial uh, thing, but it was just going for it with an idea, basically. So it's that kind of stuff. I mean, same with Forgotten Waters. We ended up doing this app. I ended up writing it. Mm -hmm. So it's like I'm always Mm going to find ways to apply every tool at my disposal and uh, it just at, eventually, I found a point where we needed a game. I would say that's how I got into game design. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in terms of say the your own preferences as a gamer, I mean, do you have you ended up kind of designing games that you would want to play yourself? I mean, I've heard that said kind of a lot of times. So, does your collection does that reflect quite well on? Raxon and kind of forgotten waters in terms of you mentioned Summoner Wars, so I'm assuming that you you've got all of the Summoner Wars. Yes. Um, uh, <laughs> did you play Ashes as well, or are we going to have a falling out about? Oh no, no, yeah, I love Ashes. Actually, I'll tell you what: <laughs> in the company, I didn't like it until we had mm-hmm. graphic design and art, and those two things all like right. made the game come together um, which is a weird i mean that's something i learned you know working for Plydat games is the way presentation can make a difference before i wouldn't say that i cared about that but that was a game where it took me from like a five to a ten and i ended up playing it a ton (laughs) a ton a ton um some of that is just it's nice to look nice but some of its usability and things like that that uh you know dave and fernanda we're able to provide with doing the visuals, but yeah, like I like a lot of those kinds of games. I love Netrunner, but never had people to play with. And I love my group loves games like Root and uh, um, things like that, uh, Cichlides or however you say it. You know these territory control, yeah, but with some Euro yeah. elements. I don't yeah. have too much of a desire to make one because. I feel like it's a very well-rounded out genre. There's a lot of really, you know, there's a lot of variety and a lot of options in it. I mean, we we play a ton of Root. Uh, so I'd have to start by coming up with something I like better than that. But yeah, I, I will say with Forgotten Waters, it is, um, I was definitely unsatisfied with the pirate games available. Uh, at, at least the you know the ones that were trying to be more thematic. I mean, there's some like um, probably my favorite is Jamaica, but it's a you know it's a racing game. It's not it's not about yeah, yeah, pirate yeah, adventures. Yeah. But as far as the games that are mm. about pirate adventures, I love pirates. Loved Monkey Island growing up, the video game, um, and uh, so I'm always interested in that theme. And I've always felt was just talking to Isaac today that we really hope that. This hits the same way as Dead of Winter, where there is always there is a ton of zombie games, but subconsciously, I think most people felt like something's not right. This isn't feel, even though you know, 
even though people weren't complaining about the offerings, it just didn't feel like the zombie game that a lot of people were looking for. We hope we can have the same effect with this, that it's that even though there's tons of pirate games, nobody's asking for more, that people will sort of realize that it was a part of their pirate game heart that was missing the whole time for those of us uh, who like that kind of thing. that That's the idea, and that's that's definitely where this game came from for me was uh, wanting a game where we're all on a story together instead of just being captains where I'm not paying attention to what you're doing and we just intersect once in a while. Yeah, I mean, the thing that... Um, and I remember speaking to, to John at the time about Dead of Winter, um, which was one of the reasons he actually guested on the show because I went, I really like Dead of Winter. Please come on the show, please. Please. Yeah. And he said, yeah. Um, which was the the zombies were there and they were ever present and they were an overarching kind of threat. But the interesting thing was always the the, the interaction and the core mechanics between the players. That's what brought out the emergent kind of elements in terms of the story or the kind of the traitor mechanic to Dead of Winter. Um, there was always that threat in the background. There was always the big theme in the background, but it was the it was the kind of the struggle to make sure you had the right supplies to kind of fulfill the objective. And that's what kind of made it um, really, really interesting. It's also what made it kind of one of my, you know, one of my, still one of my kind of favorite games. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny because we had, um, well, we, we had right after we released dead of winter, we had like that poll for, you know, what do you want the next crossroads game to be? <laughs> As if yeah. it, there was going to be one the next year, you know, and it, <laughs> And it uh, took a long time, and uh, and you know, uh, Gen Seven eventually came out, but it 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 wasn't exactly what, what people were looking for. Um, but it turns like Dead of Winter. It makes me think that Dead of Winter is really special because it's it it's just doing something that's actually pretty hard to replicate. And I I think it's you said I think you used the word emergent, and it I think it is. Yeah. maybe the best emergent narrative game as far as you could read a little paragraph from the rule book if you want, you know, for introducing the main objective. But the story is the thema- it's a thematic story, but it's all in just what happens spontaneously in the game. And I can't think of another game that a lot of games have dramatic moments and fun, you know, a fun story to tell afterwards, but Dead of Winter without inserting a lot of written narrative besides the crossroad cards manages to capture to really feel like you're in this zombie story without without that just from the items you find and the you know dicey roll and then of course those crossroad cards adding little narrative moments helps too so we've been seeking the next one of that and i think for isaac with isaac we eventually gave up on you know, copying it, copying the formula, and and with this game are trying to capture the spirit a little more, even though it's a, you know it's a very different game, and we hope we hope it works. <laughs> Did you end up doing a lot of soul searching with Gen Seven? Because I remember there was there was a fair amount of hype kind of surrounded because it. it wasn't labeled as it was no it wasn't labeled as almost like a a kind of a a like-minded follow-up 
for Dead of Winter. It was like, well, here's another Crossroads game. And did you guys kind of then, when it didn't do as well kind of critically? Because I know people that played it said, they weren't they weren't entirely happy or it played, there was something a little bit off from it that it didn't play as well as what they expected, especially coming from the same stable. Did you did you guys kind of go back and strip it back and say, well, what what is working here and what isn't working here? Or did you just file under, well, this is something we've got to learn from and kind of move on? Yeah, so I during pretty much that whole development of that game, I was on that Asmodee web team, so I didn't have a lot yeah. of direct influence on it. I know. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some there's some no brainers. Like you can't you can't fill out a games box with cards. People don't accept that as a you know as people undervalue cards basically at what they cost because the card game had to be a hundred bucks and it's because it had like seven hundred cards. You know, um, mm-hmm. and that's just you know what cards cost if you get enough of them. <laughs> so there's some yeah, there's yeah. some no brainers. Like we don't want to do go go down that road again. Um, but uh, you know, whereas, you know, Aftermath or whatever could be 80 or 85 or whatever it was. And it, it's cool miniatures. So people, you know, people are all for that. They get, they're willing to spend more. Um, yeah. But I think probably, I, I can't speak for those guys since I didn't work on it too much, but it was from an outside designer. Yeah. So I think that Plaid Hat and, you know, really a few other studios, you know, I th- just think about Fantasy Flight, of course, but in... And I know Cole Worley is, you know, on staff at Leader Games, for example. We have our designers in uh, the company, and that's probably for a reason, I guess. You know, that we kind of have a feel for what we're going for, and and uh, you know, the for thematic games like that, I think that kind of works where everybody's kind of in it together, and that 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 benefits people. That's. That's a difference I can think of, but other, otherwise I couldn't. That'd be a good tough question for Colby and see what he has to say about it. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, no, I know, I get, no, I get it, I get it because I know that um, when people sign up a game for like to be published, then there's usually been it's usually like, well, here's my game, publish it, but that doesn't happen like that. What happens is it then goes and you get a game developer coming in and saying, okay, well, what works and what doesn't. And in some cases, um, a theme will completely change and or some major mechanics will really change before it comes out. And I think that um, what you've got a danger with is if you've got a controlling arm saying, OK, well, we're just going to hand in this idea and you have to make a game out of it, then sometimes the, the heart of the game can get cut away. And so people are... It's not a case that the mechanics are there, the the art's there and everything else is there, but the bit that kind of added that little kind of je ne sais quoi just isn't quite well, isn't quite there, and that's why sometimes things don't work, because I've played a lot of games where I've went, this seems okay, but it's just missing that, I don't know what it is, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and that's what causes some people to go, I'm not kind of going with that. Um, in terms of, let's talk about a little bit more about the kind of the mechanics side of things if i am if if i am kind of sitting down to play forgotten waters one of the things that's important to me is that for me because my time is quite short that i can if i'm going to play a campaign it's easier for me to dip in and dip out 
of a game? I mean, what can I expect with Forgotten Waters? What are you bringing? What are you bringing to my captain's table, <laughs> Mister Ellis? Yeah, so I mean, it is an adventure game. I was, uh, Bistro, our writer, described it that way on a recent podcast, and I thought that's how it needs to be described because that's what it's about. It's about an adventure. It's not exactly a campaign game. It it has five adventures, and they're each split up into two parts. So you could describe it as five mini campaigns, but that's probably stretching it as far as the word campaign goes. Um, but each adventure has its own captain. And by the end of the adventure, in some way, you're going to need a new captain by the end of the adventure. And uh, these captains have a lot of personality. It's a game... Well, let me just check what you're asking. You you want to know a little more how the game plays or more about, you know, string together, dipping in and out of a campaign and, and the character and stuff like that? A- anything. Surprise <laughs> me. This is it. It's your night. So, it's your night, Joseph. So I'll I try... know. I want to know whys and I want to know hows and I want to know what's going to make me, you know, basically stick my peg leg back on, you know, um, drool a bit and put on the worst pirate accent that people haven't heard for and you know in the last the last couple of weeks you know sure so what this game does is throw you in and i've taught it some people probably won't like this teaching style but i've sometimes taught it at because of the first scenario you start and you're in this port town and you've had a little intro paragraph but you turn to page 19 and you're at the port town and I just say, you know what? We're just going to play the first round because this first round's pretty low stakes. You can choose whatever. And what you, you turn to the location book page, and it's not like an adventure book game where you have um, sort of a set way to do combat and to do all these rules. All all the pages is a list of about seven actions, and you spend about forty seconds planning your actions and just making one simple choice. Do I want to go to the fortune teller? Hmm. Do I want to go to the bar? Do I want to just go um, go on an adventure with the captain? Do I want to go to the market? Mm-hmm. And do I want to go search the woods? And uh, of course, you're competing. You know, turn order is determined based on infamy, and and you know, if if you're at the end, you might just get stuck working the ship or something like that. So you kind of want to mm-hmm. move up to 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 do your own thing. But you make that one choice, and then once you do the action, you're probably either going to just do a check with a die roll and adding skills, or you're going to make another choice, maybe. Uh, and it ends up being this incredible uh, canvas for the for the narrative to take shape, where we're all just doing one simple thing, and we've pared the decisions down, but the decisions are still meaningful. But it's also just kind of wild. So on that first turn, it might be that the first person goes to the market. They roll decent. They've, you know, they're able to buy three things. So they get some supplies for the ship. But then they spend some supplies for a tattoo for themselves. And then Mm. the next person uh, goes into the woods and they roll uh, great. And, you know, normally if they if they got a 12 or a 13 or something, you know, they'd get some nice supplies or maybe a treasure for themselves. But instead, they're going to go in the app and read a story written by Mr. Bistro 
that uh, and voice acted by these incredible voice actors. And they're going to get a the story itself feels like a reward, but they'll also, you know, probably be rewarded or maybe one out of 10 times they'll actually be sorry that that happened, you know, uh, and I can't spoil the stories. But then, you oh, know, the other on. person, yeah. come on. <laughs> and then, and then Still the other person, you know, they work the ship and, uh, you know, they improve the hall a little bit, but they're kind of pissed off that, that they had to do that. So they also steal a treasure from somebody else. And then the last person goes to the fortune teller and, you know, what happens to them is just a complete mystery. And so you have this, I, 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 I was talking to Isaac today and we were saying, we know that anyone who loves Tales of the Arabian Nights will love this game, but we've hesitated yeah. to state it that way because both of us dislike the game, Tales of the Arabian Nights. <laughs> so I think what we're trying to do is insert the stories and the thing that people do love and the people who love it, you know, they should love it and they should have a blast with it. Yeah. And I think we, we, we try to understand what the part of it is that people love and try to bring that and bring it with some of the best writing, you know, in board games from Mr. Bistro, especially with the voiceovers, but put it in a system that feels like you have really meaningful choices and really meaningful tension between the players and things like that. So, I think that on the one hand, it's hard to describe what's unique about the mechanics, but at the end of the day, I think it is a really unique new way to uh, present an adventure game like this. And uh, I hope people see that. So I'm describing it a little less marketing-y and a little bit more with mechanics Hmm. because it's just what I'm into. I love to geek out about, you know, game design that I love and stuff. Uh, but you know, hopefully, if if you and and uh, some of the people listening like that too, some of this makes sense to them and uh, what's their appetite a little bit. So, um, I mean, one of the questions that comes up whenever you get kind of like technology involved is how much am I going to be heads down, thumbs up in an app, and how much of it is going to be based on kind of like my my lovely Luddite sensibilities of riffling through <laughs> pieces of paper. Right. I, I think you will be pleased. I hope I hope we win over some people who are on that side of it. Uh, and I definitely mm. have considered myself that way at some points of, of not really wanting an app. There's definitely have been games that have gone overboard with it that, that I say are a, a few steps too far. But mm-hmm. uh, so first of all, you will have your ship log is on paper. Uh, and mm-hmm. so you save your game on the ship log. The sort of the state of the game and what you've done is written down on the ship log and what's left to do. And then same with your player sheet. So each player has a unique pirate that's one of 21 different pirates that are in the game. Uh, and that is a sheet of paper too. And they have their unique skill tree and. Uh, their unique backstory and this is very silly but we have like a little mad libs part of it where you fill in your backstory with some random adjectives and nouns and that actually you know affects what you end up reading and all of that is on paper so it in that sense it feels very old school um, that you have a pencil or pen and are writing this stuff however and, and we were developing the game as all analog with a bunch of event books in, in the box. But as 
it got these scenarios got more ambitious and longer and more sort of um, branching trees for, you know, when you go to an entry, depending on if this is on the ship log, do this. If that is on the ship log, do that. And it it was really becoming a chore <laughs> to flip around the event book. Meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, I was working full time, like, you know, developing marketing websites and web store sites and stuff like that. So I didn't have Colby came to me with the app idea and I didn't have time or probably the or the like political, you know, uh, power within the organization to, you know, devote a bunch of resources to an app. So I kind of sort of negotiated with Colby like, well, what if it was, you know, just this? And he said, "Eh, what if it's that? And we came to a place where the app. I mean, it replaces a sand timer, which is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, that saves everybody money, and it's more consistent. Sand timers, I don't know if you've ever timed a sand timer over and over again, but it's very inconsistent. Um, yeah. But uh, So that's a no-brainer. But otherwise, all it's really doing is replacing like an event book with entry numbers. Well, it's, it's replacing several of them. Uh, and so the game, is it's really just we need a little tidbit. We need some an effect. We need a story right here. And instead of flipping around and having to maybe flip two or three times and also having a, I was terrified of the chance of making a huge mistake uh, and having some misprint that led people to a dead end Um, (laughs) when we tried to, because at the end we would need to like mix up the numbers, you know what I mean? So that that two wasn't next to three and things like that. And so it's, it's so simple. It's also just, it's a web app. It does use a, new technology called progressive web app so you can download it to a device and use it offline in airplane mode or whatever but it's it's this just very simple thing you put in a number you read a story you might make a choice like it could be a crossroads moment or it might ask you what's written on the ship log to decide what to give you but it's it's the simplest possible app i can imagine for the game you know we didn't replace the player sheets or the map or the ship log or all these things and meanwhile it gives us the power to give way more variety in the stories that happen to you uh and it gives you the power to uh do these voiceovers which like we discussed earlier i can't even believe like it's it's so far beyond my expectations and it's going to elevate the (laughs) game so much and just like a week ago we weren't even you know we i mean we knew they'd be good but we didn't we didn't know how much they would elevate the experience. So I, I hope that wins people over. And, and if we go bankrupt, I will, you know, that we've committed to making it open source too so that anybody can host it. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Does that mean with it being an integral part of the story as well is that it makes it easier for you to add on kind of like expansions and extra stories and things like that as well? As time goes on you can update to add in kind of extra quests without people having to necessarily go out and buy kind of like a physical expansion kind of going forward. Yeah, that's kind of, and that's kind of it. It certainly gives us the ability to do that. I and I'd say it's an open question from a from a business model standpoint because, like I said, it's a web app. It's not on an mm. app store. So right now we couldn't charge mm. people for content if we wanted to. We'd, we'd just have to put it up there for free. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah, like okay. I'm imagining different levels of success for the game. Maybe there's hmm. right. Maybe if it's like you know a huge runaway success, then it's like okay, let's invest in 
you know, making it a native app so we can have in-app purchases and we can start writing scenarios. And uh, But then there's probably some middle level where it's like, well, we've had this, you know, we have a couple ideas for a couple more scenarios. Let's just invest small by, you know, just putting it out there and giving it to people and uh, things like that. There's probably some other level where we release the tool that we're using to build the the data files, you know, and and uh, open it up for for anybody to kind of make a file that someone can load in and play. And uh, there's all yeah, there's all kinds of possibilities. I mean, most importantly, if we made some huge mistake, we could fix it instantly, <laughs> and that 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 gives you peace of mind. But but uh, yeah, there are possibilities. It all depends on how people respond to the game, and it's amazing how. Once something, I'm, and I'm thinking about this more of as a fan of movies and other art. Once something's out there, it's it's its own thing, right? And you can't predict how people are going to interact with it, right? Maybe people would be ambitious and would write these scenarios, and we could have it would be more of a community thing, or maybe, uh, you know, or maybe it would be that uh, people would be so excited for a new scenario that we could really invest money for more voiceovers and sell it and people would be dying for it you know we don't we uh, mm-hmm. we don't know yet and we can't control it so we'll yeah, see yeah. all we can do is try to build it as flexible as possible to have really good narr- narrative and story mm-hmm. but also have a solid foundation of of mechanics because I don't know who's gonna love it will it be the you know, real strategic groups who could kind of break Dead of Winter once in a while because they would tank the game if they weren't going to meet their secret objective, or will it be more of the the narrative sort of rollicking groups? We will see. Where, where do you lie on that spectrum on on Dead of Winter? Um, we always we've played it less as a. It depends on the type of te- group you were playing with. Yeah, because you got some people that got really, really into kind of getting involved with the characters, especially if they were playing it like once or twice. They wanted to play that character. Um, you got other people that were more interested in using the character as a way to not act how they would usually act when they were kind of like playing a game. Yeah, <laughs> as well. That's what some board games are greater you know, for. Almost, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like using kind of like an, a kind of like a role playing kind of capability. I think it would, for me, um, what appeals to something like say Forgotten Waters is that there's a strong there's a strong frame there's two things there's a strong strong enough framework there for the game to live and breathe by itself with people just reading out the excerpts from the story. But also on the same time of it, if people wanted to go in and kind of really, really ham it up, yeah, then you've got the opportunity for people to take it to that next, to take it to that kind of next level, which I find is kind of really, really, really kind of interesting. And I notice that you've spent the time to invest in the app as opposed to investing in, say, like miniatures, which, because I saw... There was two things that struck. I thought, because I like, yeah, miniatures are fine, okay, and everybody likes miniatures, but <laughs> miniatures become can become much of a muchness after a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and that's really where I'm like, at. I agree with you, but it's I really just like personal the standees. opinion. <laughs> well, I really like the standees. I mean, I'll, you know, um, 
the captain is dead. I don't know if you've ever played that at all. No, but I know a good bit about it, yeah. Yeah, the captain is dead, right? You've got basically these acrylic kind of standees which have got beautiful illustrations on each side. And they really, really fit in with the kind of the nouveau kind of art, kind of decor, kind of graphical kind of represent, you know, the art that's in there, the style of it. The standees fit in kind of really, really well. When I, you know... um, and that's what I saw about Forgotten Waters was that you're using standees. Now, I don't know, again, if this was potentially, because of the current situation with the company, if it was a case of, well, miniatures are instantly going to turn like a $60 game into a $90 game, and that is going to potentially, in the current climate, stop more people from wanting to go into it. And I liked the stand. I liked, when I saw the video... The unboxing video yeah. today, actually, which was kind of like, well, here's all the standees and here's the ships. That doesn't put me. That kind of <laughs> doesn't put me off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've got a lot of games that have a lot of lovely stand, a lot of lovely minis in them. And if I was into painting, I could see the attraction. But I'm not really into painting. But the the artwork on it kind of stood out for me on the individual kind of standees that you have so um going back i'd like to see it as a framework so people can do you know for me so depending on the group i'm playing with other people will get right into it and we'll all be kind of wearing eye patches and spitting each each other and throwing coins around the table or <laughs> if you want to have a nice kind of just a role-playing quiet subdued game we can kind of do both yeah, which is where I would be with it. I, I, it's it, it does break my heart a little bit that it's going to be hard for people to play at five, six, seven players at first. Uh, the game is just as you know, it, it works great at any player count, including our one and two player mm. variants that are on the app. But, um, but that's to me that it's that more rollicking, loud, boisterous atmosphere where I've had that I just love the most. And uh, I'm, I tend to be like a, you know, pretty uh, relatively quiet person, but in a game, my personality, you know, really shoots out there. And, you know, and that there's tons of, uh, op- you know, there's stories that you read, but we're what we're really excited about is the way this is something like Dead of Winter where they're, because we've got 90 different treasure cards, 90 different story cards, you know, and all of and plenty of effects that are going to lead also to a lot of emergent story between the players, and and mm-hmm. uh, that's the kind of stuff you really lean into. And yeah, make a story about. I think about my friend uh, finding a pet goat, and you know, of course, the goat uh, can be discarded for supplies meaning cooked, mm-hmm. but she didn't want to do that, and uh, we needed the supplies, <laughs> so when I got a chance to steal a treasure, not selfishly, just doing the right thing for the ship, I took wow. her goat, and I, you know, got us some supplies, and uh, you know, obviously, you know, she's looking for some revenge after that for her goat, you know, whatever his name was, and there's a lot of that kind of stuff. There was one, you know, after I had managed the game for a few months while Isaac was finishing some stuff, that's what he was most excited about when he came back to play it. And uh, it's like, yes, it's like I said hmm. much earlier, we thought we could just do the next dead winner and the next dead winner and the next dead winner. 
It's turned out to be way harder than expected. And we're never going to make the next set of winner, but we think we've, we hope we've captured something about that yeah. spirit in this game. And uh, that's, that's what yeah. we're so excited about. So um, how many pieces of silver are you going to have to pay in order to secure passage <laughs> on this voyage of discovery? We care a lot about affordability, and it's I can't believe it because I remember buying oh, I remember getting a Agricola back in the day, maybe for sixty bucks, and feeling like it was quite a lot. But this game is fifty nine ninety five U.S. dollars uh, anyway, and uh, I uh, it seems so affordable in the land of Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, you really get a lot in the box for it. Like I said, two different pads in this uh, uh this 80s or 80 page or so location book and uh, a ton of cardboard like six things of cardboard it is a, and you know everything we've invested in the app and stuff uh this location book you know one side of the page is all the details of the actions the other page is just this full 11 by 11 piece of artwork basically and you know mm-hmm. so half the location book is dedicated to that and uh it is, uh, it's amazing stuff <laughs> and it's, it's, <laughs> it's islands and it's open seas and it's enemy ships and it's different kinds of monsters, which I definitely want, don't want to spoil what all the different monsters are that you'll run into, but, Just uh, keep um, teasing me and teasing me and teasing <laughs> me. Oh, here's some information about the game that I'm not. Going yeah to tell you about well our first conversation that i mean we had that idea that i mean obviously jerry had already you know pioneered these adventure books which are already super cool to just flip through but mm-hmm. we um but i just thought you know i've never played much rpgs but it's nobody can deny what a blast it is to just flip through a really cool rpg you know dungeon master's handbook and uh, just to look at the world and all the things. So our, our idea was in in a board game to have something like that, where it's not it really wouldn't exactly be spoilers in the same way it might be in one of Jerry's games to, you know, flip through it. Yeah. Because it doesn't tell you what happens. It just tells you the different settings. And that's essentially what it is. <laughs> you know, it's like an appendix of all the monsters and the ships and the islands you might run into when you yeah. play. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, I mean, that has... That ended up really happening, and I, I thought we would do like twenty locations. And Isaac just he he had a he had, he basically came like here's the locations, and he had a giant list. <laughs> that is <Yeah>. almost exactly <laughs> what we have at the end of the day. Where I'm like, you want this blue fire highlands for the blue fire religious zealots, and we're gonna have a whole island for this. And this is the first I'm hearing about this, and that's in there, you know. So. Along That's with really the cool. uh, the things you would expect, you know, giant multi-legged monsters and uh, things like that. Well, uh, that's the reason I didn't ask about them because, <laughs> if, you know, I kind of, I kind of took that as a took that as a given. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, where where can people go to get a hold of this? I mean, I know that um, you had kind of like pre-orders on the site so if people are interested where where can they go in order to find out can they find out more and potentially can they get a copy of the game as well yeah they should go to even if this um even if 
even if the pre-order is over by the time somebody listens to this, they can still go to preorder.fwcrossroads.com and I'll make sure that that redirects to wherever you can get the game at that moment. Uh, and that, that's our little mini site. So fwcrossroads.com is the app. Uh, it's how you get to the app, but preorder.fwcrossroads.com is uh, right now where we're still taking orders and, and we'll be, you know, in a few days from when we're recording this, you know, it'll be sort of uh, officially in, in the pre-orderer's hands, but we'll still be taking orders uh, at that time, as long as we have stock. So otherwise, we, we'd love you to support, you know, local stores. And it's just a question of when, when it shows up there, which is, you know, given, just given the world circumstances, not, not something that anybody really has control over. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really hoping I'm making a remote assist app to help people play it online. And once I build that, I mean, I'm hoping to just play it with people on the internet who are interested. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it, that's one of those things you where you just want to do everything you can. You to, yeah. You need to get yourself lots of coffee. Yeah. I, I, I drink uh, quite a lot. So there you go. Um, no, what I'll do is I'll make sure that we um, put all the the relevant notes in the in the show notes so that we have got uh, notes to show. If people want to keep an eye on your bad self, um, where can we find you on the internet webs? Uh, mostly on Twitter. Um, my Twitter name handle is Joe Pinion J O E P I N I O N, and uh, I. Especially since we've been independent, you know, we I've been tried to be on there, and uh, unfortunately, I tweet a lot about Forgotten Waters because it's all I'm thinking about all the time. But if you uh, want to engage me on any other topic, I would uh, be happy to have a conversation uh, on Twitter. Cool, cool. Um, and if you good people want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then just go to the internet webs and search for We're Not Wizards, and you will find us and all those different places worn out faces bright and early for the daily races um, hey. if you do like what you've listened to tonight then please tell somebody else about us because it helps us grow and it helps us spread like butter um the other thing <laughs> the other thing you can do is drop us a subscription on your podcast catcher of choice or chuck us a buck via patreon uh, because everybody needs the money honey um, and there you go. Um, there's only two <laughs> more things to do. Oh yeah. Um, the first, the first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Joe? Definitely not. Fantastic. <laughs> um, and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a big thank you, and goodbye to um, the pirate captain <laughs> the, man, the man who doesn't know um, I was going to say the meaning of the word fear but I'm sure he does oh yeah um, definitely lately <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's captain it's captain Joseph Arthur Ellis um, who's going to say goodbye in his best pirate voice aren't you Joe uh, I'm mighty grateful for talking to you, Richard. Uh, King <laughs> King Richard, Private Richard, wherever you be, <laughs> whatever your title be. 
and it's uh, and and it'd be a goodbye. It'd be a goodbye for me. Uh, so beware, you landlubbers! Whenever you go down the tiny, watch out for your barnacles on your base. Don't scratch too hard, because you might hurt your fingers. But until the next time, y'all come back now. You hear? There. Precisely when he means to.